Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Friends, it's a delight to be here with Rabbi Lauren Tuckman, who received rabbinic ordination from the Jewish Theological Seminary in 2018. Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Rabbi Tuckman is a sought-after speaker, spiritual leader, and educator. She has taught at numerous synagogues and other Jewish venues throughout North America and was named to the Jewish Weeks 36 Under 36 for her innovative leadership concerning inclusion of Jews with disabilities in all aspects of life. Rabbi, thank you for taking time to talk. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor and a privilege. Thank you. So let me ask you, what inspired you to become a leader in this very important fight for disability inclusion in the Jewish world? And what continues to inspire you in this regard? Yeah, you know, I was inspired to do a lot of my rabbinic work in this area because of my own experience, um, largely. Uh, this is very much connected to my own experiences someone who's blind and someone who's navigated uh, the Jewish world throughout, you know, a wide variety of different spaces, right? Some of which are more accessible than others. And as someone who loves Torah and loves Judaism, I really felt that it was my deep mission to try to make that as accessible to others as possible. And I know what it's like to feel on the outside and to really yearn for community and to yearn to be on the inside and to yearn for access. And so part of my desire is to really live out what I believe that the Torah, the most fundamental teaching that we have, the raw created the Elohim in the image of God. And what does it mean to live that out? Well, one way to live that out is to honor all of, all of Hashem's creations. And that we do that through trying to make the world just a bit more accessible for everyone. Beautiful. And yeah. Yeah. And what inspires me now is just the continued work. There's always more work to do. And I'm also deeply inspired by the fact that there is so much that has changed. I mean, even in the last couple of days, um, we are living in such an, a such a fascinating moment in our collective consciousness right now. But one of the things that's coming out of this moment is that because so much is being done online, so much is becoming more accessible to people with disabilities overnight. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, actually, I, I, you know, I wasn't planning to go there, but since you just went there, I, I wonder if you could reflect for a minute. Um, how, how are people with disabilities more vulnerable at, at this current moment in the world? And, um, and what are some ways that are positively adapting and some ways that aren't adapting? I don't know if you're prepared to you know, share any reflections on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I would say it is so dependent upon what a person's experience with disability is. For example, for myself, my biggest challenge right now is that I'm trying to avoid all kinds of public transportation, which is somebody who, as somebody who does not drive, that is definitely a challenge. Um, but at the end of the day, my needs, my basic needs are met. Like I will get through however we get through this time. 
Um, but there are other people in the community for whom this is a much more vulnerable and much scarier time. There are people who may not get the medications that they need. There are people who may not have the supports that they need, the physical assistance that they need every single day to do things that many of us take very much for granted, getting into bed, getting out of bed, using the bathroom, getting ourselves dressed. And in a time when we are being told to be at least six feet away from one another, if you're someone for whom direct contact is the way that you stay alive through physical support to get dressed, through physical support to use the bathroom, all of those things, it becomes much more complicated and much more precarious. So those are a few things that are really that I'm holding. And another piece is that because we are now in this time where we are at our, in our homes, away from one another, not gathering in person in the way that we're so used to and so accustomed to, we're also really beginning to experiment with a lot of new paradigms. And a lot of that includes things like doing more online. And for a lot of people with disabilities and chronic illness for whom in-person gatherings have been inaccessible or challenging, or they may not have the energy to go, having all of this incredible Torah learning online is just an amazing development. And it comes at such a hard and tragic moment. But I pray that we use this as a paradigm shifting moment as well, so that we emerge from this time and don't forget the amazing lessons of accessibility that we've learned through such a challenging set of circumstances. Very helpful, very helpful, thank you. So zooming out of this moment <laughs> into past normal, more normal moments, so to speak, or future, God willing, uh, normal moments soon, um, how can we in the Jewish community be more welcoming? Um, I mean, on an abstract level, but also on a concrete level. I know there's so many things, but what are some things, some things you might highlight or point to? I would say the first and most important thing in terms of becoming more welcoming is thinking about how we build relationship and how we think about our communities of care. What I mean by communities of care are what are the, who are the people in our midst that we really are close with? I think that we are living in a world now where we have social media and we think that because we have social media, that means we can have all of these connections with thousands of people. But the reality is that the human being has limited bandwidth. And often what happens is that we don't, we often kind of struggle to maintain a particular circle of care individually and collectively. And so often people with disabilities or people who don't have those support networks tend to fall through the cracks of that. So one thing we can do, particularly as rabbis and spiritual leaders and really everybody, we, everybody's gotta be part of the solution here is to think about prioritizing relationship building and prioritizing really reaching out to people and telling people that we, we care about them and that they matter. Um, one of the biggest spiritual wounds I think that people with disabilities often have is the idea that because they may have needs that are very complex, that are not, that are not standard, um, for lack of a better word, that that then means that they're too hard to accommodate or they're a burden or they're not normal or that they are, God forbid, in, uh, God forbid dispensable. And I really believe that we have in our tradition teachings that tell us exactly the opposite, that, that tell us that in fact, every single human being matters and is valuable. Yeah. So living that out in how we act in the world and how we gather, it's really important. And I think the other thing to remember is that the term disability is one of these terms that we use because we don't have anything better to be more encompassing, by which I mean that disability is a very wide, wide spectrum. 
of so many different and divergent and sometimes overlapping experiences. But nevertheless, the differences are also incredibly important to name. And so sometimes when we do accessibility work, something we may do may be extremely accessible to one person and may not be accessible to another. And the question then becomes, how do we make something as accessible to the maximum, maximum number of people? That is a challenge that we're always working on. Frankly, it's a challenge that I work on and I do this work, but I, you know, I have a long way to go in my own teaching. And so I think that what I would offer is, number one, really think about how we orient ourselves to other people and what it means to be in relationship. And the second thing I would say is think about the ways in which we want to make our, our spaces accessible. And, you know, we've always got to start somewhere. There's always more work to do. But if we pick one area, okay, so I'm going to work on making sure that all the sermons that I give are written out ahead of time, which is something that I struggle with personally, right? If that becomes my area, then I can say, if I do that, then I know that people who follow more, follow better visually or for whatever reason need to have a written copy, they can have that. That's one thing I can do to make my space more accessible. And then I continue to work on those other places that need to be worked on. But I'm always thinking maximally and I'm also thinking practically. Right, right. Should communities be, have like every inclusive practice possible there from the start or should they wait to see who wants to participate in the community and adapt to the specific needs that are present? Yeah, it's a really hard question. Because on the one hand, if we have everything there from the start, that is on one level really affirming the dignity, um, the kavod of every single person. On the other hand, we are human beings living in, living in a very human world. Um, and we have to prioritize what is present in our community. I think that the answer is sort of like a gam vagam, right, a both and that we are thinking as maximally as we can because as is often said in disability community, often a lot of things that are accommodations for people with disabilities or chronic illness are actually really good for the entire community. So I think that's one way to look at it is this is a value add for the entire community. But the second piece of it is, okay, if I know that I am the rabbi of a congregation who, you know, and there's a member who is a wheelchair user and there's a member, member who's blind and a member who's deaf and a member on the autism spectrum, well, what are the things that those people need first and foremost, because they are members of my kahal? And then how do I meet those needs and how do I do so in the most dignified way? And then once I'm able to do that, then how do I continue to reach outward? But I can't reach outward at the expense of taking care of my people. You're such, a, you're such an articulate educator and advocate. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm learning so much from you. Um, so while the previous election has mobilized people to make their voices heard in all kinds of issues, women's rights, immigration reform, climate change, I wonder if the same thing has happened in regards to issues pertaining to, to, the, um, to the disability community today. And on the society, societal level, what types of legislation, um, I'm sure there's so many, but some specific ones or, or just in general, should we be advocating for to support people with disabilities? You know, I think that it's always been uh, a struggle around social movements in the disability community. And what's, what's challenging is that we have had a very long history of organizing. Um, Judy Human, who is an incredible disability rights activist and advocate, actually just wrote, wrote a memoir called Becoming Human, which is all about the organizing she did to 
to um, pass the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and we're, we are observing the 30th anniversary of that this year, um, which is a fantastic milestone. But I think that it has been harder in the wake of the 2016 election to galvanize people around the disability community. I don't, and you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. Part of that is fear, frankly. I think people are very afraid of what they don't understand, um, especially because disability is something that can impact anybody at any time. So I think part of it is that. I think part of it is that for a lot of people, we're not seen as peers, right? In the same way that, for example, the LGBT community, one of the reasons that there's been progress, and I say that with a lot of, um, so there was a lot of air quotes because of course there's been progress, but of course we've seen a lot of that roll back. So it's a, you know, there, it's also a gun to gun. But I think one of the reasons why there was more galvanization is that people were able to relate to people on a person to person level in a way that hasn't been the same in the disability space, which is why relationship building is so important. Um, and I think though, that the way we change that is by really kind of adopting a model of you know, people with disabilities aren't over there. They are everywhere in our communities. They are our friends, our family members, our spouses, our children, our partners, our rabbis, our religious leaders, like everybody. And we have to really look at it that way instead of thinking of disabled people as being over there or in need of, you know, help or somebody to be pitied or somebody who's not like us. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that the disability community did do a lot of organizing around was healthcare, um, and that's been an incredibly crucial issue, especially for people with disabilities who have a variety of underlying health conditions. That is not true for the entirety of the community. As I said before, it's a very wide spectrum. The disability community is a very wide spectrum, but for many people with disabilities, issues of healthcare access and equity are crucial. So I think we should support that to the greatest extent, including things such as paid sick leave, including making sure there's support for people with disabilities to hire personal care attendants if they need. Personal care attendants are professionals who come in to a person's home and will help them with things like bathing and toileting and dressing um, if that's something that they need. Or, you know, something like there's a piece of legislation that is talking about how do you make sure that if you are somebody with a disability who does not communicate in a verbal manner. Um, it's generally referring in this case to people with very significant intellectual disabilities. How can we make sure that those folks are able to bring people with them to the hospital if they have to go into the hospital for something that they will, let, they will be able to bring someone they are comfortable communicating with so that that person can then communicate on behalf of them to their medical team. Um, and I was extremely moved when I was at Jewish Disability Advocacy Day last uh, month, February 2020 in Washington, DC, where we talked about this issue and we talked about what happens when somebody doesn't have communication assistance. There are people who've been restrained to their beds. There are people who got all manner of things. There are people who haven't eaten. There are people who have not eaten because they may not be able to eat independently and may only be comfortable being fed by someone that they know. So those are things that we as the general public, whether we have a disability or not, those are things we can really talk about and get behind as a way of lifting up our tradition's value of Kavod Abriot and our tradition's value of the Tzalem Elohim. Beautiful, beautiful. So just um, just one last question. You started to touch on this, but I wonder if you might share just one piece of Torah 
um, that continues to inspire or motivate you to continue this type of work you're doing? Absolutely. So one of my favorite pieces of Torah in this moment uh, is a very famous passage in Shmot in Exodus. Um, for, in chapter four of um, Exodus, we have the very famous uh, scene between Hashem and Moshe, right? Where Hashem is saying to Moshe, you will take the, you'll take B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, and Moshe says, I can't, I'm someone who is slow of speech. And Hashem says in response, well, who created you that way? Was it not I, Hashem? So I have, a, I have an accommodation, Aaron will speak for you, and then you will be able to do the mission that I know you can do. And what's so meaningful to me about that passage is that Hashem says in response to Moshe, saying, well, you know, I don't know that I can do this because I have a speech impediment or whatever we would consider Moshe's speech challenges to be. You know, it's hard to know because of course, like our own modern language is, you know, very different from what is in the Torah. But whatever is going on there for Moshe, Hashem doesn't say, oh yeah, well, you know, I guess you're not really the right person. Hashem says, I know that you have a stutter because I created you as who you are. And what I want to be very clear about is that there are some theologies that say, well, Hashem created everything for a reason and therefore we can't argue, right? I think actually the Torah is dafka not saying that. I believe that the Torah in its own context is saying, I, Hashem, created you in my image, like every single other human being, and, and this is the crucial part, therefore, I'm going to provide you a reasonable accommodation, because what is an accommodation? An accommodation isn't a special treatment. An accommodation is something that allows a person to be fully themselves in an environment that may not be set up for them. So Hashem knows that Moshe is not the most articulate. But Hashem also knows that Moshe Rabbeinu is our greatest prophet ever. So therefore, the answer here is to say, okay, how am I going to create a world in which people can thrive as who they are, right? And that doesn't mean that we don't struggle with who we may be. It doesn't mean that there aren't many days that are really challenging. But it also doesn't mean that we accept the status quo and say, well, Hashem created me with a speech impediment. Therefore, the fact that the world is not accommodating or the fact that ableism exists is just something I have to accept. I think that Adarabba, on the contrary, that actually what Hashem is saying is if you are created as in the image of God as anybody else, because I created you in, you, in the image of Hashem, of God, just like every single other person, well, therefore, how do we create a world in which all of all of Hashem's creations can thrive in a meaningful and really deep way. Amen, amen. Wow, beautiful. Yashukach and Chevro, uh, make sure to check out Rabbi Tuckman's writings and videos and teachings. Um, such a powerful teacher in our time. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly an honor. Kolakavod, Chazak Vemats.